Today is April the 28th, 2021. This is the Friendship News Hour presented to you by Bummer Dude Media. My name is Frank Wartha. I am joined, as always, by Alex Kenzie. How are you, sir? Doing well, sir. Good day to you. A good day it is. Bright and sunny and cheerful and Tis. full of hope and laughter. It is. There's a pretty uh, big speech tonight. There is. There's the uh, not-so-State of the Union. I don't know why they don't call it the State of the Union when it's not your first one. Maybe because you don't have... I don't know. I don't know what the reasoning is. For all intents and purposes, it's the State of the Union tonight Mm -hmm. uh, that Joe Biden will be giving uh, in Congress to the nation. Maybe it's because... Like this is like the first big thing where he like really will unveil large scale plans for his union, and you know maybe at which point next year and the years that proceed, we he could then give the state of that union. Maybe yeah, I, I think know. it's a tradition thing. I think it's oh, okay. every president. I know when Trump did his first one, it wasn't the state of the union, um, but it was after his first one hundred days in office. Just like Biden mm-hmm. here, so okay. Um, for whatever it is, I think it's going to be um, pretty subdued. I, I, I'd be curious to see how he does up there. Um, we'll probably get the same Biden that we're used to, but um, he's sure to talk on the pandemic, and he's going to probably touch on um, the military coming back from Afghanistan. And uh, how many people he was able to get vaccinated. But there's one large story that's come out before the speech, and that is the $1.8 trillion plan uh, aimed at families, tax hikes, uh, and families and tax hikes for the wealthiest Americans. Mm-hmm. And uh, I understand you know a little bit about this plan. I looked into it a little bit today. I, I kind of just saw that it was announced this morning. Uh, first of all, I'm hoping that Corn Pop will be in attendance today. Um, that's a bad nice. dude. He is a bad dude, man. Um, but yeah, like the plan kind of detailed. Uh, the idea is to, if it's passed, it'd be the largest American uh, investment we've ever made in childcare, paid leave, and early education. Um, he's going to introduce it tonight, and I'm sure he'll probably detail a little bit more about, you know, who's going to pay for it. Exactly. Um, but how it breaks down is, or what he's proposing, is that 200, it's a $1.8 trillion package. And can we just call it $2 trillion? Yeah, $2 trillion. Let's make it easy. Uh, so $200 billion of that is going to go towards, or would go towards, universal preschool for all three and four year olds. Um, yeah, which they say would benefit about 5 million kids, uh, in America, save the average family about $13,000 and, uh, there'd be no income cap. So like everyone could take advantage of it. And, you know, a lot of people that maybe couldn't maybe single mothers or who, 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 what have you, like could actually like work a job instead of have to stay home, you know, and, and continue to care for their child. Um, so, you know, it's some definite benefits there. Um, 109 billion is for two free years of community college to all Americans who want it. Uh, they would also, with this money, increase the maximum Pell Grant by about 20%, um, so, which comes out to like an extra $1,400 per year. And he is asking them, to, he's asking Congress to double scholarships for students that are studying to become teachers. Uh, so like if they're from 4000 to $8,000, it would be like the, the, the double. And um, he wants Congress to invest $1.6 billion to help education get certified in high cost areas like special, special education. So that sounds good so far. Um, $225 billion to make childcare more affordable, fully covering childcare costs for the lowest income working families and ensuring families earning 1.5 times their state median uh, income pay no more than 7% of their income uh, for children under five. $225 billion uh, would go towards creating a national comprehensive paid leave family and medical leave program, which would provide about $4,000 a month for workers uh, with a minimum of two thirds of their average weekly wages replaced. Uh, the administration 
also uh, is pointing to research that over 30 million workers, including 67% of low-wage workers, don't have access to a single paid sick day, which is pretty wild. That doesn't seem legal. Say that one more time. He says that the administration pointed to research that over 30 million workers, including 67% of low-wage workers, don't have access to a single paid sick day through their jobs doesn't hmm. doesn't seem legal but th- this this is the case that they're making uh 45 billion dollars to expand a summer ebt to all el- eligible children nationwide expand healthy school meals support schools that are offering healthy foods and allow formerly incarcerated individuals to re-enroll in snap um and then the big chunk, $800 billion worth of tax credits and cuts for American families and workers, including extending expanded ACA premium tax credits, making health insurance cheaper for millions, extending the child tax credit increases um, in Biden's COVID-19 relief plan through 2025, and making the child tax credit permanently fully refundable. So a lot of, lot of big ideas in that. A lot to impact mm-hmm. As you might imagine, there is bipartisan support, and uh, there is certainly dissent on the other end of the aisle um, when asked about this plan, this tax hike. Uh, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell said, behind President Biden's familiar face, it's like the most radical Washington Democrats have been handed the keys and they're trying to speed as far left as they can possibly go before the American voters can ask for the car back. Um, it, there's a lot of things that sound nice in there. I think the one thing that I have a, a giant problem with is creating this avenue for a fully integrated citizen to be in the care of the government from when they are a tiny baby to about their 20, right? They want to guarantee two years of community college. Mm -hmm. Now these, this money that is going to be offered for childcare is in the form of vouchers, right? It's not going to be government preschool run uh, centers or anything like that. It's going to be vouchers Mm -hmm. for families. But again, my problem is and always will be until anything changes that anything that the government can do, they will do terribly. <laughs> and so we look at a bill like this that's spending $2 trillion uh, over the next 10 years for now. And it sets up entitlements for daycare and childcare and things like that. Why do we want the government to do this? I, I mean, I for would me for, personally, I would say that if I, I'm a, a parent who has a child and I don't, and I'm not, you know, I want to keep that as close to as in house as possible, and I would want assistance in that realm. You know, I don't want it to make it easier for me to hand off my kid to somebody so that I can go off and, you know, work or, or what have you. I, I, I want it to be easier so that I can teach my kids so that I can be with my child so that I can be the one that's facilitating their upbringing. Sure. And so I think behind all the positives that we can find for this, it's still a government entitlement. But how do do you do what you just said without having any kind of government assistance? Like, how are you able to stay home and teach your kid all these things if you can't go out and work? I can't answer that question for an individual. That's something you're going to have to figure out on your own. Mm -hmm. But it's surely a concerted effort to take the family unit and make it ever more reliant on government support. And inherently, I believe that to be a terrible an idea. Sure. I, a lot of other countries, especially ones that are um, 
of our status though do the, a lot of this stuff already though and it, it seems that many of them are operating pretty well well yeah i mean sure right this is a very french-esque policy mm-hmm. um that is that is being or attempting to be implemented and i agree with the sentiment right if you're a struggling mother who can't find anybody to watch their kid and this program works for you fine great um but that seems to be a prevailing argument and to me that argument doesn't stand up on its head for everybody particularly at the scope that this bill or that this plan wants to expand these entitlements and and they're called benefits or whatever they're entitlements they're they're government guaranteed programs that Mm -hmm. are intended for assistance and that almost always backfire and are ground into the shit that is bureaucracy, the red tape that is bureaucracy. So culturally, I'm not a fan of providing the government or allowing the government to say, hey, this is what we want. We want you to take care of us from when our, because this preschool is, is for children ages zero to five, right? This pre-K guarantee. Well, no, the plans is for, so from for that three point, and four year olds. It doesn't start at zero. It starts at three years old. Well, the, 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 the daycare is from zero to five. The pre-K is three to four year olds. The two different things. Gotcha. Okay. I didn't see that. So from when they're an infant to conceivably wherever we want our government to take care of our children. And I say, no, I want you to take care of your children. I want you to be the ones that are teaching your children from right to wrong. And I want you to be the one that teaches your kid what a bird is and to play catch with them and to do what you need to do to be a parent. But people just can't not I, I don't work think for that five, the first five years of their kid's life to teach them what a bird is, though. Like, pe- What's that? People can't just like not work for the first five years of their kid's life so that they can go and teach them what a bird is or what a truck is. Like, that's that's not very reasonable of like a thing of a counter argument to me because this this sets up a, a plan to make sure that a lot of kids that probably weren't provided for in the past are they're in better environments their their families can now go work they don't have to sit on welfare that is being paid for by everyone they can go work and make money and have a decent life to give their kid a decent life and it's all funded by people that make 400,000 or more so like the average person the me and you's the middle class no one's really affected by this except for the people that make way more money than anyone ever could need or spend so like in the interest of benefiting millions of kids all over the world and millions of families all over the U S not the world. I don't see why this is such a bad thing at all. Other than maybe a couple really wealthy people leave America, but I mean, I, <laughs> I'd rather see a lot more families like be provided for and uh, able to live some semblance of the normal life that many people are treated to or born into uh, what ha- like anything, you know, I'd rather see more people be able to have that life and be able to chase that American dream than just worrying about having to feed their families and their, their kids day to day. Yeah, no, again, the sentiment here is not lost on me and the intent is not lost at all. I I get why it is that this is happening. Right. What I'm saying is that it is doomed to failure from the start because we know what government programs do they don't do anything but provide people things for zero incentive and they historically have shown us that they don't motivate anybody to do the things that we would hope that they would do sure most people just take advantage so again the sentiment here is what is being sold it's not the programs it's not the fact that we're going to raise people out of poverty or that we're going to provide people with their basic needs. 
It's the idea that the government is supposed to do that in the first place. And we've seen time and again that they are not capable. They are by design a giant ship that is very hard to steer. And they are incapable of taking care of you and I. And if we want to go and just throw $2 trillion at all of this and put way more money back into schools that we've already tried to put money back in schools and it obviously hasn't worked. I mean, shoot, man, look up the literacy rate of schools in Southside Chicago. Where mm-hmm. Adam Toledo, the that poor 13-year-old kid who was shot by the police in Chicago back late March, the literacy rate at his school was 6%. Do you know why that is, though? As someone that like lives here and, and can tell you firsthand, it's because uh, yeah, they've closed down tons of public schools. You have now have these schools where kids, even though they were probably shitty public schools, had more individual attention. They're now combining three, four, five different public schools into one big ass school with probably the same teachers, not as many teachers because they cut all them. The CPS goes on strike every year, it seems like, because their teachers aren't paid enough. So God knows what kind of teachers they're actually getting. And now these kids are forced into bigger classes where they don't have any, they don't have nearly the attention that someone would have had. Like for me, I grew up in classes of like 20 to 30 people. So like the, I think that this bill actually helps attack that so that like these kids can start learning from a younger age and develop a lot of these skills. Whereas before they wouldn't have, then they're just tossed into a shitty public pre-K school and they're, they're immediately at a disadvantage to so many people around them that have the advantage of going to private schools or good public schools. Yeah, but you, I mean, you just said that the, um, this bill is going to be spending money mm-hmm. on schools that are disadvantaged. I don't know the language that you use, but it was something along those lines. About that, yeah. Right? But if you have a teacher's union that is corrupt as can be, that is refusing to bring their children back to school when they know that there is zero threat to them or the children for COVID, that all you're doing is providing money to that. If you really wanted to make a difference, what you would do is you would expand this voucher program to actual students and you would give them a voucher and you would say, this is your school voucher. You pick where you want to go to school. You are not tied down to your geographical location, therefore the school that your that your neighborhood is tied to. You're asking preschoolers to make that decision, though. No, 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 not at all. I'm I'm asking the parents of the children to make this decision. I'm asking the politicians who are p- pushing these policies to allow the parents to make this decision. Mm-hmm. If you're just going to continue to put money into these schools and these and these districts and and give money to these teachers unions to quote unquote make things better. All you're going to do is exacerbate the problem that already exists. You're not attacking anything at the root. And the, the, the children of these, of these districts are the ones that need that money. So why not di- tie directly to the children the money that you want to give in the form of a voucher and allow their parent or guardian to make the decision of where they want to bring their kids to school, whether it be a charter or a public school in a certain radius of where they live. If they have the means to get that kid to school there, why not give them that option? Okay, but that that's, is what is going to make change. If you're just going to throw money at it, well, then all you're going to do is raise the tides of corruption that already exists. But what you just said is throwing money at it. You're giving them a voucher. Like it's kind of what they're doing in in a way. Like what you just proposed is to throw money at them, but it's just like let them pick where they want to go instead of being told like here's the schools you can go to. Correct. Fund the student. That's the same not thing, though. School. That's still getting money thrown no, at you. No, it certainly though. is not. It certainly is not. Okay. No, it is not. Absolutely. Because if you are just funding the Chicago Public School District, right? But none of that's mentioned in this bill at all. It's 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 for the families to get school. It's not the teachers' union being making more money. Well, well, you 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 mentioned you mentioned there was how much eight hundred eight hundred billion to go towards to go towards the. It's $800 billion worth of tax credits and cuts for American families and workers, including extending expanded ACA premium tax credits, making health insurance cheaper for millions, 
extending the child tax credit increases in Biden's COVID-19 relief plan through the year 2025 and making the child tax credit permanently refundable. Everything that that says is giving families money, not schools, but the school will be better schools in place. I understood you to say something about actual school districts or like some sort of schooling thing I, I heard in your, in your initial screen. So if, if I'm speaking out of turn, then I apologize. Sure. Um, but again, it, if we're talking about just preschool and just pre-K, right? Young children, five and under. Um, yeah, I mean, the idea of it sounds great, mm. but history will tell us that it, it, it isn't the government's job to do this for us. And you could use an excuse like, we're the richest country in the world. We should be able to take care of this, that, and the other. Well, that's not how we're set up. We're not set up so that the wealth of our country collectively is, determines what it is that we, that we do, that, we get, that we're allowed to provide for our citizens. That money is wealth that is generated by you and I. So if we're really going to go along the lines of what it means to be this democratic experiment, then we have to want to shift the focus back to our communities and to shift the focus back locally, right? What is going on in your neighborhood, in your community, in your school district? Why is it that you can't get kids to uh, daycare? Why is it that you know, you're struggling so much to get these basic things done. You know why, To me, the answer is not, hey, let's have the federal government pass a giant two, I mean, $2 trillion. That's not even a fathomable number. You can't even imagine that number. But we don't even acknowledge that. We just acknowledge that it's, quote unquote, going to help families. That, to me, doesn't jive. You're going to need to be way more specific on how you're going to do that and you're going to need to combat the issue that there are a lot of people that are skeptical about this because they know of the inefficiency of the federal government. If you can't answer for those things, then it's just reckless spending. I don't sure. believe it's going to help nearly as many people as it's set out to do. So but just a couple things. The, these are points that I'm stating that are before this speech has even happened, before he's really even fully detailed his plan. So... True. I, I will wait to see what he says today and to actually see more specifics um, before I could really make that call. This is just stuff that I've read, basically. Um, what I will say, though, is you touched on that's not what we're set up for. What America's set up for, what this free market, what, what, what in a way democracy has been set up for and what our politics have become is that the rich get richer and they control everything. And it does trickle, trickle down economics is bullshit. Uh, it might have worked back, you know, when Reagan instituted it, but it it in after it has gone on for years, it's bullshit. It does not work, and that's why we have so many low income families that need a bill like this to go through so that they can have some kind of like normal life. And, and yes, people are going to take advantage of it. People are always going to take advantage of things, but that doesn't mean that there aren't way more people that actually need this help. And if it's coming from the pockets of the people that have profited off this system for years and years and years. Uh, and, and can make money off betting against stocks and shorting companies, fuck them. That's fine with me. People need that money way more than these fucking, their investment accounts need this money. And if it can actually be paid for, all $2 trillion, all $2 trillion can be paid for by these people, then I, I don't see it a problem. I, I, I don't see why we would think it's bad as people that are far below that $400,000 per year bracket. So prior to the speech, there's been some facts disclosed by the Biden administration as to how this is going to get paid for. Some of these facts include raising the income tax rate from 37% to 39.6%, the top income tax rate, I should say. Mm -hmm. So for those households making more than a million dollars, the Biden administration would also raise the top rate on capital gains and dividends from uh, to 39, so basically 40% from 20%. So um, that's huge because that is how a lot of people, and I get that a million dollars is a lot of money. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it's not, 
it's not lost on me that those people have the means to make their lives work. Um, but that sort of increase um, is dramatic. And it's going to cause a lot of, like you mentioned, these people at the top, they have a lot of the power. So I think that um, when you do something like raise capital gains from 20 to 40%, you might as well be declaring war on people. Um, existing payroll and investment taxes, um, the top rate on wages and capital gains would go up to 43.4% from 23.8%. Uh, and he would also expand the 3.8 tax, 3.8% tax to some new types of incomes that, uh, that we just didn't explain here, capital gains and wages and, uh, payroll and investment taxes. So yeah, I mean, it is a giant tax hike for the rich. And you may have a sentiment towards that that is thinks that's positive. Um, you know, if you're making that much money, um, certainly I think you... can be seen as a target that needs to pay more for what you make. But my question to the Biden administration and, and, and to anybody else who would have that sentiment when talking about personal earners that make that much money and companies that make that much, that much profit is you're not taking into account what these people are doing with that money. Right, like take for 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 example a company. If uh, who was it? Apple that just came out had an earnings report today, and they were up. Google was up a tremendous amount. Mm -hmm. It's not about how much money they've made or how much money they profited. The question that needs to be asked is never asked: is what are they doing with that profit? If you are a going concern, if you're a company that makes money and you make a profit, you're not making a profit to just stash it away. If you're a going concern and you have investors, you need to prove to them that the money that you're making, you are then returning into the market in some fashion and you're investing it so that you can be better tomorrow than you were today, right? Mm -hmm. how, how dare we sit here and look at somebody who's worked their ass off, made a ton of money, and assume that they're greedy and selfish and driven only by what is in their bank account. We don't know how many more jobs that these people who make this amount of money are putting into the economy. We don't know what they're doing with all of the money that they have. And so to just blanketly say, oh, it's really good that we tax the shit out of these rich people who have been rich forever. It's like, yeah, there's a 1%, but that 1% changes all the time. It's not a static thing. People fall in and out of wealth all the time. So it's very simplistic to just say we need to tax the rich, especially if we can't be certain that the money that we're going to be getting from these taxes are really going to go towards the things that we think and say that they're going to go towards. There, there should be a healthy skepticism as to how we are spending such a giant fucking number like 1.8 or $2 trillion. Sure. And like I said, this is announced pre, this is early. So hopefully we get more details. Um, but I still don't, I, I, f I feel as though I, what I posed to you is unanswered still though. Like I, I don't, I don't see sure. The 1% comes and goes, it changes there is still a 1% that controls a vast majority of everything in this country. There's, they control our politics. The corporations, they, they donate to these campaigns to the people that control everything. They control their votes, really, when you think about it. They control the parties. This is not like a free country, like as it's meant, as it's shown. These are, these are that's, not, that's not what it really is. It's controlled by the people that have all the money. These, these under the Trump administration in 2017, there's a huge tax cut to benefit these people when there's tons of people that are out of jobs and 
can't feed their families, yada, yada. Like this has continued to be a problem and it, it, it's getting worse as the years go on. Like these, if, if trickle down economics were real and what you're saying is we don't know what they're doing with their money, blah, 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 blah. If that was true and these people had good intentions, you wouldn't see the problem that we have now and you wouldn't see all these people automating jobs so they don't have to hire people and unemployment going up and up and up. Like the Un- unemployment isn't going up. Unemployment's going down and was going down until there was a pandemic. It was shooting down. And sure. unemployment, unemployment is the people you, you have to answer a survey and say, are you gainfully employed or not? That is the only way that we determine unemployment. What we don't determine is how many people are not actively searching for jobs. That's not true. Go I, out I was on unemployment earlier this year. That's not true. They call no. That's not true, Frank. I was on unemployment this year when my hours were cut. They call your they call your employer and past employers to check to see if that's true. You also have to continually search for jobs on another platform. Every two weeks, they check in to see what you've applied for and make sure that you're actively working. Not how many people are on unemployment. I'm talking about the percentage of working age people who are gainfully employed. Okay. There's a difference. Okay. You signing up for unemployment is one thing. That means that you are trying to receive a government entitlement. Mm -hmm. Okay. The unemployment rate is the amount of working aged people who have a job. Sure. So it's a random survey and they call and they say, are you of this age? Are you a working age? Do you have a job? So every month when they come out with the unemployment rate, that is what they're talking about. But what they don't take into consideration are working age people who don't have a job and who are not actively searching for a job. I see what you're saying. Okay. Oh, do you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, and th- that, this was something that was told to me by uh, economics professor at, at Point Loma when I did my MBA. She was the former head economist at, at Bank of America. And what she was saying is that it, the unemployment rate, and that back then it was like 4.2, 4.3. Apparently that's like the golden range. But what we don't take into account is all the people who are not searching for a job. And her belief was that that was the most, or at least one of the most important economic factors of our time. People who have dropped out of the job market with no intention to return. Her theory was that it was working age white males in the Rust Belt who have fallen prey to um, opiates. That was her theory. Like that could be for a, the mil- main? a million theories. But what about like all the inner cities and things like, like what about all those people? Well, yeah, but the question is, do they want a job? Okay. And if they want a job and, they, and they're not employed, well then that's one thing. But if they don't want a job and they're unemployed and they don't want to work, I mean, I don't know how it is in Illinois, dude, but I can't go anywhere right now without seeing a help wanted sign. Mm-hmm. Um, but our I, unemployment I rate is still not back to where it was at pre-pandemic levels. Why is that? Well, you could make the argument that the unemployment benefits that they're receiving are not, don't match up to what they could get if they just got a regular job. You could make that argument. And I, I would tend to agree with that argument, but when you're talking about wealth and a wealth gap and the gap between the poorest and the richest in America, it is very true that that gap is, is as wide as it's ever been. And it is concerning. And I understand that there is a lot of people out there that want to combat that gap, right? Why is it that there are people suffering when there's so many other people who have plenty, right? Mm -hmm. And I think it boils down to people who want to 
provide the help directly to these people or people who want to use their lives as an example of success to highlight the fact that it's possible for everybody. I'm in the latter. I don't believe that any amount of government money is going to better the situation of people who don't have the incentive to better it themselves. Okay. But like, what do you say about like <laughs> Donald Trump born and raised, let's say in Detroit, Michigan, and he's fucking normal ass family. Does he become the man he is without his dad's million dollar? Here you go, buddy. Here, all these trust fund kids that make up a large, probably majority of, I'm sure there's people in this 1% that have worked their ass off to get there. I'd be willing to bet there's a lot more of them that were uh, kind of handed the keys a little bit and made some good decisions, had good financial investors, uh, bet against companies to lose money so that they make more money on the stock market. I'd be willing to bet there's a hell of a lot more of those people in this 1% than there's people that work their ass off. But, but should those people be vilified and should we be, should they just be okay with their money being taken by the government at will to go towards things that they have zero control over. Yes. I, but that's what I'm, are they even able but, to, but, so but, this, but why, why would you want somebody to not take advantage of any, of any opportunity or privilege given to them? Because you can't control anybody's life or how they were born. I'm not against But the one them. thing you can control is, the one thing you can control is the, what you are competent in. And if you're not competent in policy, and even if you are competent in policy, especially if you're competent in policy, how can you sit there and, and, and believe that throwing this amount of money at one problem is good and be taking that money from people who have earned it the majority of people who have earned it is better because you're there, there. There's so much lack of humility in that, in that sentiment to me. It, it seems as though we believe that this issue is just as simple as taking from the rich and reinvesting into the poor. I don't see no. another plan out there though. That's been proposed that actually could fix the situation could help fix the situation. Uh, create a standard in society that is so high that everybody has to live up to it and you don't provide any excuses for anybody who doesn't. What does that mean though? Like in practice, how do you do that? Um, well, you start by not trying to provide government assistance for children from when they're born to two years after they graduate high school. Mm -hmm. You don't create reliance on the government, on the state. They were never meant to be relied on in the first place. They were there to provide protection from foreign actors and to oversee a, a, the, the federalism to, you know, sort of be the arbitrator of states and to have an area where representatives can confer with one another about the different people that live in their communities. There, there is nothing about this government that was set up so that we are able to shift our lives so that the government works for us and gives us all of our basic needs. And to me, that's just where this is. It's just another step in that direction, right? I mean, mm -hmm. there's never been an entitlement that the government has provided Americans that has ever gone away. It's always stayed. And so it seems to me that we're just kind of progressing towards that. And we're just opening pocketbooks towards that. I'm not here to tell you I have the answers, but I can tell you that this is wrong. And we have proof of that. I just think if there's something you're going to invest into for the future of our country, why would you not start with education? Why would you not want people to be more oh, educated? Yeah, no, dude, I a hundred percent agree with that. There is no one bigger issue of our time than how we educate our children. Because even 
I mean, even the kids that have access to decent public education, like I did, they're being fed a bunch of garbage. That's a whole different show. How do you not, how do you make that system better than without throwing money? Charter schools. That that's funded. That's and still funded choice. though. Yes, but it is not a state. It's not a state run school program. Okay. So that's your problem is right? that they're state and like the idea run. of these vouchers for preschool and pre-K, mm-hmm. right? I'm on board with that. I think it's great. I think it's, I think it's better than the alternative. If the alternative is a government run preschool or pre-K program. Um, again, the reliance on government for that sort of assistance to me is beyond the pale. But even if we start with that baseline, you need to, I mean, honestly, what you need to do is you need to get away, get, get rid of the entire public school system as we know it. Just completely get rid of it. Mm-hmm. Open it up to privatization. Allow for schools to compete for students based on a very high standard of education. If you want to talk about equality in education, or making it so that everybody has the best chance for an education, for a good education, the best and only way to do that is to have a very high strict standard for what it means to educate children and hold responsible every child to that standard, kind of like we used to, but, but actually do it. Mm-hmm. And not worry about what individual students' identity means to their education. So then would that be up to uh, Elon Musk, people like in, in his tax bracket, to go oh, and set up charter schools? Like, would that, would that be uh, the idea? It would take a, a person like that. And there's people fighting this fight. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to look up somebody who's really interesting in this, uh, Catherine Burblesing is a headmaster over in London. She owns a, she, she runs a school called the, um, not the Madeline school, but the gosh, dang it. I want to get it right because it's important. But anyway, she runs this school and has taken this idea of a very strict, high standard, um, the Michaela School, sorry, the Michaela School in, uh, in, in Chelsea, uh, or excuse me, Wembley Park. She's taken that idea of, of a very strict standard, a very high standard of education. She's put this school in a low-income neighborhood and the kids that go to this school, it's going to sound weird, but it's almost run like a prison. Stay with me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it, in that, it, it requires discipline. It requires a very large amount of discipline on the students. They are expected to do what they're told when they're told to do it. But when you look at these kids and how they interact with each other and how special each one of these children is because they don't have to worry about bullying. They don't have to worry about outside influences. They don't have to worry about what's going on at home. They don't have to worry about any of these things because when they're at school, they're at school and they're learning and none of the bullshit is tolerated. Mm -hmm. Zero of it. And it creates an atmosphere that is so conducive to learning and to children being children. I mean, like I say, it's run like a prison, but it's not. I mean, these kids are playing, they're laughing, they're happy. It's not like, you know, you might have the idea of like uh, Miss Trunchbull in your head from Matilda. It's not that (laughs) at all. It's so different. When you see schools run like that, you immediately are like, oh my God, that's the answer. That is the key. The key is somebody like Catherine Burblesing taking it upon herself to change the culture of what it is to be a school. Okay. but And I know that's not like a sexy, yeah. you know, one size fits all answer, but it's the truth. 
Okay. And just in a two minute Google, but this is from time magazine. So I think this is probably pretty reputable. Uh, that school is state funded partially. Sure. Yeah. And so is every charter school in the United States, Mm -hmm. but they're not state run. Gotcha. Okay. So that, that is where your problem is, is that like the curriculums are controlled. Yes. Okay. The, the less control, I mean, of course, you're going to need, you, you can't just privatize schooling, right? Like it's, it's a, it's a, a cluster of programs that's been going on. Gosh, how long's public school been a thing in the United States? At least the past hundred years, maybe 120, mm-hmm. right? So you can't just cut the ties of all these schools and just let them fall. But what you have to do is you have to free the teachers and the administrators of any of the bullshit red tape that is brought down upon them by the state in which they run their schools. California public schools are are a great example of this. Bat Mm -hmm. shit crazy, man. I'm talking like absolutely mind-boggling the things that are in the curriculum for these schools. And if you allow a school to focus on the basics, like literacy, um, and you don't require all the other extra garbage that is involved with the, with the bureaucratic system like public schools, mm-hmm. then you can free up kids, students, teachers, administrators to run programs correctly. Because there's plenty of people out there that want to do that. Um, and so, to the best of my knowledge, they do that in charter schools. Because they, they were, don't have... What's that? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. If this $2 trillion plan was in place to replace that system, would you have as much of a problem with it, with the dollar amount? Because uh, as I look maybe, it up now, there's maybe, 90... Yeah, I mean, maybe. It would just be... It would, it would depend on how it's written. Because mm-hmm. um, as I look it up now, there's over 98,000 public schools in America. So the money okay. to... Um, I mean, maybe you don't need 98,000, but I mean, you're probably still going to need like 90,000 to 95,000 if you institute a thing like this, the money to build, uh, hire staff for all those places and to keep them running, I would guess would be more than $2 trillion for sure. Oh, I would argue it would cost a whole hell of a lot less than it does now Mm -hmm. when you get rid of teachers unions and when you get rid of all these overarching bureaucratic uh, offices and the red tape that's involved with running a government run school. If you get rid of all of that and you just focus on the student, I guarantee you that's cheaper than what we're doing now. Or more effective. The problem is, you know, there's a ton of power in it when it comes to schools. And if you're trying to overhaul the system, then you're just poking the bear. So it's, it's, it's a very difficult thing to do doesn't mean it's not right. So I, I would probably have a problem with that amount of spending, government spending. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I would. I, the one thing that I appreciate or appreciated about the previous administration is that there was a concerted effort and focus to return power back to the people. Right. I mean, there, like, for, for sure. example, there was uh, a, a rule that if there was one regulation implemented, um, that two others had to go away. Um, and it was all about the people running the people sort of, you know, how it was originally planned to be. So if there's any sort of large scale federal government involvement, particularly as it comes to schools, that is packaged in a $2 trillion bill and trying to be sold to the American people, I most likely would have very many objections towards that. Yes. Sure. And uh, yeah, by taking the stance, I in no way am like some Joe Biden supporter. I uh, definitely not. But this is the first thing I've seen come from him that I'm like, oh, like this seems good at first glance, at least. I I see what you're saying, but I, I think that the intentions are good and it's like, it's not a tax cut for the richest people in the world necessarily. But I totally agree with you that in the previous administration, um, it felt like it was more 
it was returning to a power to the people kind of mentality for sure. I mean, think about, think about yourself or myself, right? We're not, at least me, I'm not here just so that I can collect a paycheck and go home. You know, my focus is towards advancement is towards providing a better future for myself and anybody who may come into my life right into the future. Mm -hmm. There is no amount of government and government programs or tax hikes or anything like that. It's going to demotivate me from trying to earn as much money as possible. Right. But even myself who doesn't get to enjoy a salary above $400,000, I hope one day very soon that that's a reality. And if I'm met with that reality, I'm met by that reality by punishment in the form of taxes, and I don't know where they go. I don't know, man, I don't care how noble your goal is. Um, that to me just... It, it, it doesn't, it doesn't jive. Hmm. And I, I just don't, I don't, I don't like the idea of demonizing the rich for being there. I don't like the idea of putting them all into one bag of vilified people because they chose to do one thing and other people. And the, and the argument is that other people didn't have that chance because of where they were brought up or, or what have you. But does our system not seem to be that the rich get richer? No, not at all, man. Like I said, I don't think so. The, the, the heights of income in America, the richest, the most wealthy, there's a very select few people that get to keep their generational wealth. I mean, it's almost impossible to do. These things change hands all of the time. If you want to talk about having the ability to go to Harvard because you're a legacy and then from there, you're probably guaranteed to be a millionaire because of what you're doing. Yeah, sure. That exists. But it also exists for the people that don't have it. And that to me is the point. It's like, if you're going to continually tell people that their situation is shit because of the way that they grew up or their demographics or what have you. Um, you can't also turn around and claim to be supporting those same people. If all you're going to be doing is talking about how shit their situation, I'm not speaking to you personally. No, no. Yes. But, and you're right. But also at the same time, like that's not just people telling them that their situation's shitty. That's them seeing that their situation's shitty compared to a lot of other people in the world and feeling like some people get to start on third base while they're outside of the baseball stadium. Like that's not just us on telling whose terms people. though, on whose terms. I mean, you're born where you're born, right? Like you really weren't born in the greatest of situations compared to however many millions of, of children or hundreds of thousands of children who were born in a better situation than you. Your situation is your situation. My point is to help somebody who's in a situation that they want to get out of. First of all, they will have to want to get out of it. Second of all, if they do want to get out of it, the message isn't going to, shouldn't be, um, Hey, here's how the government is going to give you a helping hand because it's not a helping hand. That's like the biggest lie there ever was. It's just an entitlement and it sets a baseline for where people can exist. And if you really want to help people get out of a situation that they're in, that they want to get themselves out of, well, then you need to be a positive example in their life. You can't be continually trying to prove that one situation is worse than the other because it, it's not static. It's always changing. It's ever fluid. And societally, if we're not going to take the step to tell people that they need to look inward first before they go and ask for a handout or before they go and say that they want this, this, and this because of their situation, then really all we're doing is kind of just dooming ourselves to repeat the cycle, I think. 
I hope I'm wrong, Al. I hope to God I'm wrong. I hope for <laughs> the sake of, of the future of this country and for the money of the people that this money is going to go to, I hope that I'm wrong about what I'm saying, but it would be the first time in the history of this country that we have done any sort of government spending because we've never spent like this before, but it'll be the first time that any amount of government spending has translated into concrete evidence that the people that it intended to help actually helped. Yeah. I, I'm just scared that if it continues as it is, as our system is now, that you're just going to continue to see that gap get bigger and bigger. You're going to see the middle class get evaporated in a hundred years or whatever the hell it, it is. And you're going to have really fucking rich people and you're going to have a lot of not rich people. And most jobs will be automated. I, it just, it scares me as like this future works towards our future works towards more jobs being automated. And I think there's going to be less and less jobs. Yes. There'll be new industries. Yes. But it scares me that while these, to watch what's going on now and, and for me is like what I would say middle class. Like I, I just, I just see that slowly, but surely we're, we, I think it's going to fade away as a result of you're either very, very rich or you're not. Yeah, maybe, maybe I, 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 I don't think so. I think there's always going to be a place for uh, a middle class. I think there's always gonna be a place for work if you want it. Sure. Yeah. Um, even even as more more places like become reliant on self checkouts at grocery stores, and more and more machines that build cars instead of people building cars, like that entire industry's crumbled. Like there used to be a whole thriving Rust Belt, and that whole thing's gone now because of computers and machines. You don't think that's going to continue to go on for more and more companies because they want to make more and more money? They don't have to deal with unions. So many factors like something goes wrong with a machine. You just fix it. You don't have to go to court and blah, 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 blah. Like, I think there's just going to be so many more avenues as our technology gets better to say, we don't fucking need all the headaches that go with hiring people and all this bullshit. Like we can just have a computer do it and it'll just do what we tell it to do until it takes the world over. <laughs> but like, I don't think that there's any one job that is safe from automation. Mm -hmm. I don't, I mean, I think it's only a matter of time before every single job is automated. But I don't think that that means um, that we're doomed from a from a labor standpoint. Uh, it just means that we got to shift with the times, and you know I think you're seeing it right now. Everybody left the Midwest and the Rust Belt because jobs dried up, and a lot of them moved out to California, and you're starting to see a lot of these companies shift out of that area, out of Silicon Valley. Mm -hmm. And you're starting to see tech companies sprout up in a whole lot of different places. But I got to remind you, man, that like there's no one company on the S&P 500 from like 50 years ago that's there today. These things change all the time. Sure. And if we continue to allow markets to do their job, then what we're going to see is that we're going to see that change. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't think that quote unquote, where we're going can really be, I, I think you said that as talking about like the status quo, right. Or like we need to take immediate action to combat this, this, and this. Well, also like what I was kind of saying is like, as, as you said, like in time, you can't see one job that isn't automated, like perhaps it's hard to say that now, but in a 2000, a thousand years, whatever, if we're still here, we haven't all killed each other. 20 years. If all those jobs are automated, what do people do to survive? Like, don't they almost, aren't they going to need the government or some kind of agency to like step in and like provide for them in one way or the other? If there are no jobs, there's no way to like, if, if that happens, there's going to be like a chaos or anarchy and people are going to be robbing people, killing people, stealing like, <sighs> I, I do see no, where, I like, think the that's government a very simplistic view of it. Yeah. Well, I mean, what happens, though, if they become automated? I think it's incredibly cynical, too, mm -hmm. because there's not... Okay, so take, for example, welding, right? Mm -hmm. Welding has become 
exceptionally automated in the past 20 years or so. But all that does is free you up to hire more people. And you need a very skilled welder to run that machine. It's not like a guy behind the scenes pressing a button and there you go. And this is incredibly advanced technology. Mm -hmm. But if you don't have somebody who knows what the hell they're doing and can't replicate what that machine is doing, um, then you're not going to have any viable products. So no, automation, having jobs automated is only going to free up money to be invested somewhere else because that's all it ever was. It's, it was, it was about where do you put your money, particularly as a company that makes the most sense. Um, and when you're a CEO of this, of a giant corporation, that is not an easy task. It's one that comes with a lot of risk and, uh, a lot of stress. So I would imagine that as traditional labor forces dissipate, that there are going to be a lot of people who miss the boat. Mm-hmm. Um, but do I think government assistance is the answer? No, man. Because government assistance, we know what it does. We see where communities are most affected. And the, the fact that government assistance is prevalent in all of these areas, to me, is no coincidence. And if you look at, particularly if you look at the rate of marriage for African-American families from the 60s on, I mean, it used to be like 75% in the 60s. Hmm. And now it's down into, into the, the high teens. Correlation is not causation. But what happened in the 60s is that we developed a ton of uh, entitlement programs. And from that point on, it has been a downhill slide. I, I, I don't want to sit here and, and sound like somebody who doesn't want to provide assistance or, you know, just because I have it doesn't mean that I want you to get, it has nothing to do with it at all. But as somebody who has progressed somewhat decently in my 30 years on this earth, I can say with, with almost a hundred percent certainty that, um, the only reason that I'm here is because of sheer power of will and hard work and not even like that much hard work. Honestly, I tell my brother this all the time. The best thing I ever did was put myself in position mm-hmm. or in a position. But don't you think like where you, where you've come from your origin story, um, the things that like, I'm, I'm not saying that like you had a pampered life. You, you came from blah, blah, blah. I'm not saying that, but, don't, don't you think that like where you started from made it easier to get to where you are, even though it took hard work, I'm not discrediting anything you've done. I, I know very much so that like you're a hard worker, you're smart all these things, but can't, can't you not see though, that like where you began this journey to, to then work hard and get to where you are was much ahead of a lot of people, especially a lot of people that like this bill would help. No, my mom was on, my mom was on welfare when I was a kid. We didn't, we had nothing, dude. There were times, I didn't know about this until I was older, and my mom had to call her ex-father-in-law so that we could have food to eat. Mm -hmm. I came from absolutely nothing. And the only reason that I had the ability to do anything that I did was because of my grandmother. We had to move out of our house and move in with my grandma. And at that point, my mom told me that between her and, and my grandma, they might be able to afford uh, a Catholic school for me. Um, yeah, man, I came from nothing. I don't like to advertise that because to me, it doesn't even matter. But what I did was I took the opportunities that were given to me and I took advantage of maybe like 20% of them. You know, it doesn't take much, but it does take the ability to want to do it. Sure. Putting a bunch of government funded money 
towards a situation isn't going to change the fact that somebody does or does not want to participate in their lives. But the story, as you just said it, and it's a great story, and I don't mean to disrespect your story by saying this, but includes somebody coming to kind of bail you out, help you out, as family should. Like, that's awesome. A lot of people don't have that, though. Like, imagine what your life would be like if your grandma wouldn't have done that. Imagine where you'd be today. It would probably be drastically different. There's a lot of people that don't have that, though, that come from communities where, where family's not even a thing, but damn near. Or their family's in right, jail and right. prison. So, like, imagine your life. Yes. I, I think you right. think about it a lot differently if, if that's the life you you continue to live through. I don't know, man. Like I said, we had we had nothing. My dad was in prison when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. We were on welfare. I don't know how many other parallels I could draw towards people's shitty situations. Sure. Yeah, I had one person in my life who was a shining light, and I owe almost everything I have to that one person. But it doesn't change the fact that assistance in the form of federal spending is not going to change our cultural ails when it comes to parents not not fathers not being in in homes Mm -hmm. and single mothers working their ass off and the fact that we are we allow culturally we allow and almost celebrate the things that cause us so much grief and pain and harm in the name of progressivism or the name of acceptance or tolerance or what have you. I mean, whatever you want to say, we don't celebrate the right things culturally. No amount of money is going to change that. And it's certainly not going to help anybody make a decision to, to better their life because they have government spending. It's, I mean, when you work for a dollar, you appreciate the dollar. If somebody's just going to give you the dollar, then you're just going to take it with no questions asked and say, Hey, thanks for the free money. And that's it. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, like take for example, uh, COVID relief payments. And what did a ton of people do? They helped rewrite what it means to be an investor because they dumped a ton of money into Dogecoin <laughs> or into GameStop. Yeah. Right. Cause it was free money. They had to play around with it. They didn't give a fuck about that money. They were willing to lose it all because they had done nothing to earn it. And I'm not saying that people don't need help, but we're looking in the wrong avenues. I think we're looking to the wrong people to help us. Mm-hmm. That's well put, man. I, I definitely see what you're saying there. That, that makes a lot of sense. Thank you, sir. Um, so we've used our entire hour <laughs> to talk about this and uh, hasn't even been released yet. So I'm sure we'll have much more to say on that tomorrow. Uh, yeah. But I, I think uh, this is as good a place as any to wrap it up. It is. Um, as always, you guys have any questions, comments, concerns, shoot us an email, bummerdude.media at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, also wanted to shout out uh, my brother, Zach Kenzie. He put together a hell of a logo and brand and, and whole, whole image for us. And we're very, very thankful to him and for him. Thanks, Gareth. You're the man. <laughs> and yeah, any, probably any graphic you see of ours out there was made by that man. So thank you, sir. Very talented, Zachary Kenzie. And yeah, till next time, everyone. Thank you. Bye-bye.